Hey y'all, it's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. To another episode of Peace, Love, and Baseball. I'm your host, Kaybird Tweets, and the postseason in Major League Baseball is well underway. So we're here to catch you up on all of it, along with some of the latest headlines surrounding manager moves and the front office execs that are already happening this offseason. And we're gonna have plenty of fun discussing it all along the way. But first, let us catch up with this week's weekly. Report. R-E-P-O-R-T. Yeah, so if you listened last week, you know that the report is a nice little recap of what I'm reading, eating, playing, obsessing over, recommending, and treating myself with this week. So let's get right into it. This week, I have not yet started reading this, but I'm going to, and I'm very excited to tell you about this book, and I hope you'll join me. I'm actually gonna have to physically read it. I told you last week that I like audiobooks, but there is not an audiobook version of this book. And as I tell you more about it, I think it'll make sense why I'm looking forward to physically reading it. So the book is called Bases to Bleachers. It is a collection of personal baseball stories from the stands and beyond by Eric C. Gray. Wanna shout out to Ari for the recommendation for this book. Really looking forward to reading these stories. And I'm just going to read you the inside of the book to give you an idea of what it's about and then encourage you to go look it up yourself and join me. We can do a little book club and talk about it together. The inside of the book cover says, One day during an afternoon at the ballpark, author Eric Gray asked his wife, daughter, and friend to identify their favorite game that they had been to. Little did he know that simple question would soon take on a life of its own. As the question made its way to family members, friends, friends of friends, strangers, and beyond, it gave way to a surprising collection of incredibly diverse stories and perspectives. Thus, Bases to Bleachers was born. Much more than your average baseball book, the many special and unique stories shared with readers here, whether they're about watching or playing, either at the major league level or little league, represent a wide gamut of experiences. Some entail meeting the stars or attending famous games, and some offered are personal, intimate moments involving family connections and the importance of baseball in people's lives. Bam. When I read that, I was like, this is peace, love, and baseball. This is what it's all about. So obviously it spoke to me directly. As you know, that these kinds of stories just encompass everything that I love about the game and what I've loved about following the game. So really looking forward to diving into that. And it's going to be, I know, a highlight of my week. And I encourage you to do the same. I know that that's something that all of us are often looking for during the offseason is good books or baseball movies, which, spoiler alert, we'll get to as well uh, to watch during the offseason. So even though we've got the postseason going on, we've got all these days off in between. So you might already be looking for a good baseball book to check out. Bases to Bleachers by Eric C. Gray. Eating. Well, it's it's soup season, so I am 
happier than ever to have my Instant Pot and be pulling it out to make some of my favorite soups. Not sure where you are at in the country, but here in the Chicagoland area, the temperature dropped. It was like 80 degrees like a week or so ago. It was still summer, like full-on summer here. And now the highs every day are like 50. So it's full-on fall. The heat kicked on actually for the first time this weekend. And especially because my husband was so sick last week, which I told you all about, it was definitely time to pull out some of my favorite soup recipes. Two of my recent favorite soups are a Thai tum yum soup and a Vietnamese chicken pho that I've been making. I actually shared that pho recipe on an episode last season around this time uh, when we got COVID the first time, (laughs) and uh, that lies somewhere in the archives here. But I also got Trader Joe's tomato and roasted red pepper soup today that I'm looking forward to. We're eating soup this week. What am I playing? Last week I told you I was playing Adam Wainwright's tunes. Still going to stick with that, obviously. But I'm also starting to play my Halloween playlist from Spotify. I consider myself somewhat of a playlist connoisseur. I am a musician. You probably know that about me if you've listened to an episode or two. But I also taught group fitness for a really long time, and that was one of my consistent favorite things about teaching group fitness. I was obsessed with creating the playlist to create the experience as such a big part of the experience of the class that I was leading. So I have a lot of playlists on my Spotify account from the different modalities that I taught, but I always got really into doing like the themed and holiday type playlists and finding all the best music that you almost forget about, especially if it's seasonal type stuff. So I'm going to throw this link to my Spotify Halloween playlist that I made in the show notes, just in case you're looking for one, some fun tunes to get you in the Halloween spirit. There's everything from, you know, Scream by Michael Jackson to Black Magic by Little Mix, Superstition by Stevie Wonder, I Want Candy, Monster Mash, the classics, Uh, You know, Casey and the Sunshine Band, I'm Your Boogeyman. Yeah, you forgot about that one, didn't you? Witchy Woman by the Eagles. That is definitely one of my favorites. And one of my very favorites that for whatever reason, I just can't play year round and I play it over and over again this time of year is Annie Lennox's version of I Put a Spell on You. Awesome. So that's what I'm playing these days. My current obsession is my cat. I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay, he's he's my constant obsession, but he's like extra cute and snuggly lately. <laughs> when I was single years ago before I met my husband, my friends would always, you know, give me a hard time about like don't tell guys about your cat. Like try not to talk about your cat, Kelsey. Well, it turns out my husband had a cat when we met, uh who was also, you know, he was very close with and very fond of. And it was one of the first things that we connected over was our awesome cats. So don't let anyone tell you that you should hide your love of your cat. I have a very large orange cat. He is definitely over 20 pounds. He's a big dude. Um, Yeah, but here's the thing. We moved our bed downstairs. And this was like in the middle of June, you guys. We moved our bed 
to the basement level of our house. So we live in like a three level Cape Cod style house. So the upstairs is almost like it's not an attic, but you know, it has like the slanted ceilings and it doesn't get as cool up there. Whereas like on the main level and the basement during the summer, it's plenty cool. And we have an air conditioning unit that we can put in the window up there, but it's really loud and it just like dries us out really bad. So we were like, you know what? We have this whole finished basement that we don't really use for anything in particular. Like, let's just make the basement our bedroom for the summer. So we moved our bed down here. But my cat, you know, I mean, if you have a cat, maybe you're aware of this. Cats are like very attached to their environment. So my cat, his whole life was blown up when we moved our bed downstairs. He, as long as he has lived with me, which has been, you know, all almost 12 years of his life outside of the first like six or eight weeks or so, he has slept on my right shoulder. Like I sleep on the right side of the bed and he sleeps on the outside of the bed on my right shoulder. So he just like, he couldn't, he couldn't wrap his sweet little kitty brain around it. He couldn't get himself downstairs and he didn't sleep with us for at least six weeks or so. I don't know. I I wasn't counting the days, but I was really sad because he is just the sweetest, most loving little snuggler. And it's just like the best feeling at the end of the day to cuddle up with this little guy. And it was really sad that that he wasn't down here. And I felt bad, like I was like leaving him alone. But he finally came around, you guys, like a couple weeks ago. He just decided that he's totally down to come downstairs now. And he's actually been down here all during the day when we're not even down here. So Raja's back. He has claimed our our bed again. And yesterday I was just like having a chill day, having some chill time. And he cuddled up with me. And it was just the first time in a while that we've just like sat and hung out for a couple hours and snuggled. And I just love my guy. He's going to be 12 years old in February. So he's my current yet constant obsession. All right, I'm done talking about my cat. I am recommending to you now, I am recommending Moneyball the movie. Told you that we would get to a baseball movie. I had never seen Moneyball. It is the story of Billy Bean, the general manager of the Oakland A's. He's still the general manager, or he's now the president of baseball operations, but he still works for the Oakland A's. This story is specifically about the 2002 season of Billy Bean and the Oakland A's, and Brad Pitt earned an Oscar nomination for his portrayal of Billy Bean in this movie. I had read the book Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game, which is a book by Michael Lewis years ago, but I highly recommend the movie and the story is so interesting. The story really revolved around the challenges in disparity in payroll amongst Major League Baseball teams. Like, that's really what it's about, right? Like, how how to win an unfair game. How do you get around that payroll disparity? And really the evolution of analytics in the game. So that's really fascinating, especially to compare it to how we know the game kind of works now that 20 years ago, all of that stuff was like just coming out of the woodwork. It's crazy. But yeah, in 2002, which is when this story takes place, this true story, 
The Yankees had the top payroll in baseball at 126 million, while the Oakland A's were at 40 million. They were the third lowest. They were just above the Expos and the Rays this year. So at this point, the lowest payroll in baseball at 36 million and the highest at 126 million is a $90 million difference between the lowest and the highest paid teams. This year, 21 years later, the Oakland A's have the lowest payroll now at 57 million. So they were at 40 million 21 years ago. Now they're at 57 million. While the Mets have the highest payroll at, wait for it, $354 million. That is almost a $300 million difference. So taking a look at payroll in the postseason, the top three teams in payroll this year, the Mets, Yankees, and Padres, all did not even make it to the postseason. Among the teams in the playoffs, the biggest disparity lies between the Phillies, who are fourth in payroll, and the Orioles, who are 29th of 30 teams in payrolls. They're just above the A's. The Orioles' payroll is roughly $60 million this year. So $182 million between those two teams who are now in the same spot in the playoffs. Fun fact, of the eight teams that are still in the playoffs, three of them are in the bottom half of teams in payroll. So the other two besides the O's that we just talked about are the Twins. They're substantially higher than the O's uh, at $153 million. They fall 17th among the 30 teams in payroll. And the Diamondbacks, who are at $116 million, they are 21st out of the 30 teams in payroll. Yeah, so I'm super intrigued by this. And I am going to continue to look more into Billy Bean and his story, not just from the Moneyball perspective, but he has continued to work for the Oakland A's. So you'll, I guess a bit of a spoiler alert, he he gets an offer to go work for Red Sox, obviously a much larger market and higher payroll team, to kind of take his approach that he has success with, with the A's. And, and try it out over there. And at the time, he was offered a contract to be like the highest paid, highest paid general manager in all of sports. And he turned it down. I'm sure this for a myriad of reasons. But the fact that now, 21 plus years later, he is still working for the Oakland A's. Like I said, he's now been promoted to president of baseball operations. I would just be so interested to talk to Billy Bean and know what that's all about and how he is still putting his skills and his approach to use today with the Oakland A's who certainly aren't looked at, you know, from their ownership the same way that I assume they were, you know, 20 plus years ago. But maybe we can get a Billy Bean exclusive here on on Peace, Love and Baseball. Wait for it. To wrap up the report, we've got a treat. You know, when we think of treats, we think of food and beverages, I think, pretty easily. But a lot of times you can treat yourself with with plenty of things. And personally, especially this time of year, I am treating myself with Bath & Body Works fall candles. I am a candle snob. I worked at Bath & Body Works for a couple years in college, so that's definitely part of it. But 
I am super into their candles. I will only buy candles from Bath and Body Works. And I don't love all the scents, don't get me wrong, but the, the fall scents are definitely the best. So I've got my leaves candle going, got a little sweet cinnamon pumpkin. We've got a cinnamon stick one too. Love it. And while you treat your nose, you should also treat your ears to Validity's latest single and album on Spotify or wherever you get your music. Peace, Love, and Baseball is brought to you by Validity. Are you a fan of indie pop rock with a touch of Ben Folds, Mika, and Jukebox the Ghost? Then you've got to check out Validity. Validity is the musical project by the talented vocalist and instrumentalist Wesley McKinney. His latest album, Indivisible, is now streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever you listen. And it's a must-listen for anyone who loves upbeat melodies and catchy lyrics. What makes Validity truly special is McKinney's ability to seamlessly blend his passions for music, his love of baseball, creativity, fitness. He is not just a musician, but a well-rounded artist who knows how to stay active and inspired. His music is going to make you feel just the same. So whether you're cleaning the house, going to the gym, or just a creative mind and a lover of great music, looking for some tunes while you work or while you're driving, Validity has something for you. Tune into his music and let Wesley McKinney take you on a journey of self-discovery and fun. Stream Indivisible today. All right, y'all, let's get into some headlines that are obviously all about the postseason. Wild Card Sweeps is our first topic of conversation today in the baseball world. Yes, all four of the Wild Card series last week in Major League Baseball ended after two games. So they now play wildcard series as the best of three games. The team with the better record hosts the series, all three games. And obviously, if you win the first two, you don't have to play the third one. So the Texas Rangers led the charge with starting pitchers Jordan Montgomery and Nathan Abaldi, and they took the first two of the three-game series from the Tampa Bay Rays at the Rays' home stadium in St. Petersburg, Florida. Now, the big headline of this series was the low attendance in St. Pete. They had between 19 and 20,000 people at game one and game two, which is a record low for a playoff game in Major League Baseball. I saw actually that the Kansas City Royals, who finished with the second worst record in all of baseball this year, they lost 106 games this season. They actually had higher attendance at their last game of the season than the Rays did at the first wild card game. Now, the first wild card game, it's in the middle of the day, right? It was only announced like a couple days ahead of time, etc. But from what I'm gathering, what I've been hearing around the league and everyone who's covering it is that it seems like maybe the biggest challenge in drawing fans to this stadium in St. Pete is actually the inconvenience of the location. What's odd about that is that the Rays have also recently announced plans to build a new stadium in the same area, in St. Pete, as opposed to like actually in Tampa, which again, just from, from what I've heard from people who are more local and people who cover the team, it seems like it might be a more central and appealing location to draw more fans. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. But that'll be a good one to continue to follow. And it's definitely something that we've seen play out here and be talked 
quite a bit about during the postseason. Moving on to the Minnesota Twins, who took the first two of the three-game series from the Toronto Blue Jays at their home stadium, Target Field, in Minnesota. The big headline from this series that you might have heard about happened in Game 2. The Blue Jays are facing elimination, and their starter, Berrios, has allowed no runs on three hits, five strikeouts, no walks, and he is cruising heading into the fourth inning. He allows a leadoff walk to the Minnesota Twins' Royce Lewis in the bottom of the fourth, and at this moment, Berrios is taken out of the game by the Blue Jays' manager, John Schneider, in favor of Yusai Kikuchi. This is the starter for the Blue Jays who told a reporter a few weeks ago that he typically sleeps 13 to 14 hours a night. Not sure if you heard about that, but incredible, amazing. We all need to adopt his sleep schedule, and we too can be Major League Caliber. Anyway, Kikuchi is a starter, and he does not typically enter games with runners on base. So he's out of his element already. There's, of course, some element of risk with that alone. He goes on to allow a walk and two singles. The Twins then score two runs, and that 2-0 to score holds up to win the game and take them to the division series. So now it's fair to assume that the Blue Jays manager didn't make this decision on his own. We've talked about this on this podcast, but it's seemingly pretty common knowledge that the front office and heavy use of analytics typically weighs into these decisions in in the game of baseball today. So that was a big topic of conversation in the media around how analytics can't always be the deciding factor. And in the moment, decisions still need to be made appropriately based on what is actually happening in the moment. However, the Blue Jays manager, or I'm sorry, the Blue Jays general manager, Ross Atkins, told reporters over the weekend that the decision was actually completely up to their manager, John Schneider. He is quoted saying, he has a staff that gives him info he's asking for. We're not funneling info into his decision making. So interesting to put that solely on him In the same press conference, he also confirmed that manager John Schneider will be back for the 2024 season. The podcast that I told you about last week uh, in last week's report was called Nothing Personal by David Sampson. He is the former president of the Miami Marlins, and he is like my go-to source for all of these things because he's really got that insider input, right? He is probably the only baseball executive that talks as openly about what really goes on behind the scenes. And that's why I love his podcast, Nothing Personal. So I know that David Sampson addressed this today. And if you're interested in some insider info surrounding this, go check out the Monday, October 9th episode of Nothing Personal. I'm going to be listening to it with you. The Philadelphia Phillies series up against my Miami Marlins that I was really pulling for. Man, the Phillies lean on stellar outings from their one and two guys, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, their star starting pitching staff, to take the first two and avoid playing three in their wildcard series in Philly against the Miami Marlins. Man, not only could the Marlins pitching just not hold up, they had a number of challenges of having to kind of plug and play with the starters that they have available to them at this point, but the bats never got going against Wheeler and Nola. They were just absolutely dealing. 
in the zone, and rightly so because Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia was lit. I would say that is the number one highlight from this series is the Phillies fans and that playoff environment at Citizens Bank Park. Is there any kind of home field advantage that lives up to the environment that the Phillies fans are creating? Man, I can't wait to see them now take the Braves back there and what it's going to be like in Philly. Final wildcard series to touch on here is the Arizona Diamondbacks upsetting the Milwaukee Brewers at American Family Field in Milwaukee. So the Brewers have actually only won one playoff game in their last four trips to the postseason. They were certainly considered the heavy favorites to win this series against the Diamondbacks, but they scored only a total of five runs in these two wildcard games, and their dominant starting pitching just wasn't dominant enough to hold up without more offense. Their ace, Corbin Burns, allowed three home runs to the Diamondbacks in game one, and Devin Williams, who is their closer, allowed for two runs coming in just to get his two outs, with an equally undercharacteristic outing for him for the D-backs to take game one, six to three. Then Brewers starter Freddie Peralta couldn't stop the D-backs either as he tried to bounce back from a recent illness in this start. I'm not sure how much that played a part in this, but he was looking fierce. He was taking a no-hitter into the fourth, and it wasn't until he had two outs in the fourth that the Diamondbacks even got their first hit off of him. But by the sixth inning, his velocity had started to dip. The Diamondbacks got a home run, followed by a string of scrappy play and a little bit of luck to ultimately win the game 5-2 to two and eliminate the Brewers. Who saw that coming? We're rolling right into the division series now where the Rangers are playing the Orioles, the Twins are playing the Astros, the Phillies and Braves are having a rematch from last year, and the Diamondbacks are taking on the Dodgers. So, so far in the American League Division Series, the Rangers are dominating the Orioles. Former Cardinal Jordan Montgomery started Game 2, and I'm just going to make a bold prediction right here that outside of Yamamoto, who is the Japanese League free agent that I have talked about briefly on previous episodes, and Otani. Otani doesn't count because he's not even pitching next year. I kind of think that Jordan Montgomery could get the biggest free agent contract this season, this offseason for a starting pitcher. I think with his recent success, the consistency in his performance overall, especially considering like he's gotten traded right before or right at the deadline the last two seasons, doesn't matter where he's at, doesn't matter the circumstances, whether it's, you know, he's playing for the Cardinals who are on track to lose 100 games in the middle of the season or – He's playing now in these high-leverage postseason games for the Rangers. He just goes out and does what he does and clearly has the mental stamina to hold up with his physical talent. And I know he's a little bit older than than Aaron Nola, but I don't know, man. I think I'd be more willing to take a chance on him at this point. And his agent is Scott Boras. And I, I feel a way about that. I think it's kind of weird, but I also think it's absolutely going to get him some serious dough and everybody going to be calling him J-Money by this offseason. So yeah, he's leading the charge over there for the Rangers while he pitched seven shutout innings in the wildcard series. 
He didn't have quite that dominant of an outing yesterday, but considering the circumstances of the game, I would say that he did. And they were talking a lot about that on the broadcast, about how long the top half of the innings were for the Rangers. Like the Rangers were up to bat and they were making a lot of offense happen. And he was having a lot longer breaks between when he was out on the mound than he's used to. And it's funny because in the even just in the top of the first inning, which was a little long for especially for a top of the first, I they showed him in the dugout and I was like, he is like itching to get out there. It's it's been a while. Like he's ready. The timing with stuff like that has to be really tricky. So I think it was about the fourth inning yesterday and they were commenting on the broadcast that this would feel like the eighth inning to him in terms of like how long the game had had gone on for this this long already and how long he had had to wait and try to keep himself ready between innings. So thought that was an interesting observation and certainly something that played into it. But Rangers over O's right now, and they won both of those games at a lit up Camden Yards in Baltimore. And now they're headed to Texas. So we'll see if the Orioles can stay alive when they play again tomorrow, which will be the day that this episode comes out. So on Tuesday, but right now Rangers up two to zip in a five game series going into game three against the Orioles. The Twins and Astros have split their series so far, one-to-one. The big storyline here is is Carlos Correa is crushing it. He's having himself a postseason, which is the Carlos Correa thing to do, right? And, man, it's got to be even sweeter for him against his former team in the Houston Astros. The other biggest news here is that Adam Wainwright is also crushing it. Um, No, he's not playing for the Twins or the Astros, but he is calling the game with Adam Amin and AJ Pruszynski, and he's fantastic. I just, like, man, uh, it's a skill. They make it look easy, but the fact that he can just step in with, like, I assume little to no formal training and contribute the way that he is and speak so eloquently And just, I mean, I just love the sound of that man's voice. You know I do, but he's doing a fantastic job, and I'm looking forward to continuing to watch the postseason and listening in to some great insights from Wayno on the call. The Phillies and the Braves are having a rematch of their postseason matchup last season where the Phillies were like the upset and eliminated the Braves pretty early on, and man, it is looking like it could happen again. The Phillies took game one at Truist, and right now, as I am recording on Monday night, October 9th, they are already up three to zero in the fourth, again in Atlanta. So this is interesting because teams in the same division, like the Phillies and the Braves are both in the NL East, they used to only be able to play each other in the playoffs if they got to the championship series round, which is that best of seven round. Here in the division series, we're still in best of five and definitely plays out a little bit differently. But now, because of how the playoffs have been revamped in the 2022 season, they can play each other as soon as the, the wild card series, actually. So if there's two teams from the same division that get into the wild card spots, i.e. the Phillies and the Marlins last week, And then obviously they can play each other here in the division series as they are with the Phillies and the Braves and the Diamondbacks and Dodgers as well. 
but it makes it a little more interesting. They see each other more during the regular season. That kind of like anticipation or knowing what to expect is not quite the same with a team that you're maybe more familiar with. And then obviously the stakes are even higher because that rivalry is there. And another big conversation around this, especially with the Braves' offense being very quiet thus far in this Phillies Braves series is the time off between the end of the regular season and then for the division winners who get the bye to go straight to the division series they have to wait about a week until they play in the division series and obviously that is not the grind that is not their regular routine that they're used to and does that somehow give these teams that are supposed to get the advantage of having the bye to the division series a disadvantage because they're rusty, because they're just feeling off. And I've heard former players say kind of both ways that some of them just think it's an excuse. There's no way that that could, you know, be the element that is is really a big enough factor to have to be considered here. But then, you know, you hear other guys say that absolutely, you know, getting out of your routine is certainly enough to to be a disadvantage. So who knows, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot more discussion around that, especially if things continue to go the way that they are, where like we just talked about how the Orioles, the division winner, is now down two games to none against the wildcard Rangers. You've got the Braves now that are on track to be going down 2-0 against the wildcard Phillies. And we haven't even gotten to the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers yet. Yeah, so the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers, the top two teams in the NL West, are playing each other in the other division series, and you probably well know by now that the Diamondbacks took game one, 11-2. So Dodgers legend Clayton Kershaw goes out there in the first inning for game one, and it's all Diamondbacks all the way. This is interesting. In Clayton Kershaw's career, spanning 425 games, he has a record of 210 games. He has won 210 games and lost 92. That that is staggering. That's a staggering winning percentage. With a 2.48 ERA in the regular season, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. In 194.1 innings in the postseason, which is a lot of innings (laughs) that he has pitched in the postseason, he has a 13 and 11 record with a 4.49 ERA. So, almost double his earned run average there in the postseason. So, certainly more than playoff performance issues that it played into his outing on Saturday as he has had a lingering shoulder injury throughout the season and he actually has not gone more than 5 innings of work since June of 2023. But, man, if if you were watching, you saw it, and I don't care who you're a fan of. Like, this was hard to watch. Clayton Kershaw left game one after only recording one out in the first inning. He gave up six hits, six earned runs, with a walk and a home run allowed on 35 pitches. 35 pitches to get one out, left the game with six runs on the board, all earned. So it was all Diamondbacks all the way for that final score of 11-2. to And I'll talk about this real quick because it did get brought up on Twitter, but 
Yeah, listen, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. I don't like to see the Dodgers win. Like, I'm not rooting for them. There's few teams that I would not want to beat them in a playoff game or really any game. But I was, like, shocked and sad to see that. You never want to see that from anyone, even if he was, like, this rookie that they just threw out there. But especially somebody like Clayton Kershaw, who is – you know, quite possibly coming to the end of his career as well. I I would hate to think that this is the last time that we see him on the mound. I hope that it's not. I can't imagine that it will be. But regardless, like that that's an extreme scenario. It's fine to be like, I want the Diamondbacks to beat up on Kershaw and go out and win this game. But something's really off there, man. And to see that happen is is just really hard to watch when it's to that extreme, like my jaw was on the floor. I was truly shocked. And you don't wish that upon anyone, you know, can't imagine having to deal with something like that. So hope that Kershaw can get back out and, you know, have somewhat of an ending to his amazing and legendary career that he deserves way more than his last outing. But it's been all Diamondbacks, baby. And they're going to play again tonight on this Monday, October 9th. I'm really looking forward to watching Zach Gallen and the Dodgers' uh, new young stud here, Bobby Miller, are going to go up against each other. So that's shaping up to be a great game, too, and an exciting division series between the two teams in the West as well. The other thing that I'll mention about that game was maybe a bright spot for the Dodgers was Emmett Sheehan, who came in to throw three and two-thirds innings. He had four strikeouts. He did allow a few earned runs in his first inning of work after coming in, but obviously quite unexpectedly, he came in, you know, thinking that Kershaw was certainly going to get out of that first inning at the very least, but he was able to settle in. And what was really cool to see was the praise that he got coming off the field from his manager after his 71 pitches. It was cool to see a veteran manager like Dave Roberts keep it together for his guys in a moment like that. So Zach Gallen and Bobby Miller going at it tonight, and we'll keep a watch on that NL West series too. All right, to wrap things up today, we are going to chat a little bit about the manager and executive updates around the league, which you know I like to keep up with. So far, there are there are lots of managerial openings. Terry Francona has stepped down as manager of the Cleveland Guardians. Seems like he's just ready to hang up his hat, at least for now. But he is one of the most beloved managers, I think, in the history of the sport, certainly in the recent history of the sport. He is somebody who is just equally respected from, you know, the front office to players to fans. So they did a cool send off for him in Cleveland, and that is an opening for a new manager there. As the season comes to a close, stuff like this always kind of starts to happen. But San Francisco Giants fired manager Gabe Kapler, who, you know, my question here is, does he have a future as a GQ model? Have you seen Gabe Kapler? So I think that one was maybe not totally shocking, but weird that it happened when it did, at least. They did it on the Friday and then the last game of the season was that Sunday. So kind of weird, but 
Gabe's out. Along with the Anaheim Angels, uh, who fired Phil Nevin, who is another well-established manager. I mean, clearly, clearly Phil is the problem for the Angels. Oh, wait. No. Obviously, Phil is not the problem with the Angels, but here we go again. The Angels owner, Artie Moreno, notorious for making these kinds of rash decisions and just kind of keeping the carousel moving with no necessary logic to it. So we will see what happens next over there in Los Angeles of Anaheim. Mm -hmm. Big news in New York when the Mets parted ways, uh, a.k.a. fired, Buck Showalter. So Buck says before, I believe this was before the final game of the 2023 season, that he would not be returning to the Mets in 2024. And then mere moments later, the Mets announced that it was their decision to part ways and, and you know, that they, they fired him. Lest I remind you that in 2022... Buck Showalter was manager of the year and led the Mets to win 101 games. But they have made the decision to move on. So it just shows you how quickly things can change in in these positions and in in the nature of the game. So anyway, the Mets hired David Stearns as their president of baseball operations. That was announced a couple weeks ago. David Stearns has previously served as the president of the Brewers from 2015 to 2022. So about a week after that was announced, now the Mets' former GM, Billy Epler, he has resigned saying, quote, I wanted David, the new president, to have a clean slate, and that meant me stepping down. So Billy Epler, as the GM, would have been working under Stearns, whereas previously there was no president this past season for the Mets. So bit of a strange power dynamic there. But in addition to that, Billy Epler is also being investigated by Major League Baseball for improper use of the injured list. Yes, the Mets had a lot of guys on the IL this season, and there's always been talk of like the way teams use the injured list for players who might be struggling or like are on the brink of retaining a roster spot for whatever reason. So stay tuned. If that gets interesting, we will definitely keep you updated. There's also now rumors that Craig Council, who you probably know that I love, longtime manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, there's rumors that Craig could be headed to the Mets now because of his working relationship with the former Brewers president, David Stearns, who they just hired in New York. Steve Cohen did say that their decision to move on from Buck Showalter was due to wanting to give David Stearns the ability to bring his own people in and and ultimately make those decisions. So there you go. We have heard also that the Brewers organization is interested in keeping Craig Council. Why wouldn't you be? But I guess we'll see if Stevie's checkbook can buy Craig over to the Mets. Other managerial openings or potential openings, things to keep an eye on here. Uh, The Astros have Dusty Baker currently, and obviously they're still playing in the postseason, but Dusty Baker is no longer on a contract, will be in free agency as a manager. The Brewers, as I mentioned, Craig Council, his contract is expiring. And then the Yankees are expected to continue with Aaron Boone, but we'll see what decision they make. They got to lock something down there as well. 
The last thing I want to say here as we continue to watch postseason games, a lot of our teams have been eliminated right at this point. So a lot of us are continuing to watch and enjoy baseball, but we might not be watching our favorite teams. One of the things that I'm seeing a lot of that I am really hoping that we can put a stop to or just maybe like check yourself, reevaluate, is that anytime some of these players do something really big, like the other night, Bryce Harper did what Bryce Harper does in the postseason and he hit a really clutch home run. I see a bunch of people on social media being like, Bryce Harper should have been a Cardinal. He could have been a Cardinal. He could have been this. He could have been that. Why didn't our front office do this? They're so stupid. I hate when Bryce Harper does good things. What? Y'all, just enjoy baseball. I am seeing mostly tweets and these conversations coming from the Cardinal fan base. So similar things coming up with like Pablo Lopez, who a lot of people wanted to see come over to the Cardinals this past offseason. And then obviously Zach Gallen, who was originally in the Cardinals system and was traded away years ago. At this point, like let it go and enjoy good baseball. It's even weirder with somebody like Bryce Harper, who just, I mean, I don't know the specifics. I know there's always rumors and maybe there was, oh my gosh, the same as like all the Max Scherzer stuff that's come back to light here of like, the Cardinals could have signed Max Scherzer back in 2015. Like, who cares? It didn't happen. I'm tired of talking about it. Like, let's focus on the future. I know we're not happy Cardinals fans right now because (laughs) we're not in the playoffs, But Bryce Harper is so fun to watch. He's crushing it for the Phillies. I loved watching Pablo Lopez nail it down for the Met, or I'm sorry, for the Twins last night. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Zach Gallen shove against the Dodgers tonight. And there's just no bad blood. Like, that's how the game works. So I encourage you to let go of some of the anger and disdain, like, There's really no feeling of FOMO because they're not playing against even the team that you're rooting for. That's that's a totally different thing if, you know, the Rays are playing the Cardinals and Randy Arozarena, like, makes the Cardinals pay and hits a super clutch, you know, double and walks the game off or something. Like, that's completely different to be frustrated in that moment and maybe make that comparison based on the fact that the Cardinals trend traded away Randy Rosarino. Okay, fine. But when it's against a different team and your team has nothing to do with it and you're just angry that a player is performing well because they could have been on your team that is like not in the conversation at all at this point, just let it go. Just enjoy baseball. Just take it for what it is. We all win because we all get to watch Bryce Harper play baseball. That's what I'm going to leave you with at the end of this week's episode of Peace, Love, and Baseball. Hey, I hope you are enjoying watching postseason ball. Shoot me a message. If you'd like to email, you can email kbirdtweets at gmail.com with any questions, concerns, topic recommendations. You know you can always hit me up on Twitter at kbirdtweets. And make sure that you're following the show, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Give it a five-star review. 
or give it a five-star rating, maybe leave a little review. Most importantly, tell your friends and keep spreading the good word of peace, love, and baseball. See you next week.